All right. So we're going to be in 2 Kings. This morning we'll be also eventually in John for just a minute. But uh, I just want to say about this story that we're going to read uh, a couple of things. One is I was supposed to preach on this a few weeks ago. But we were at a leadership conference, and one of the speakers also spoke on this story. And so when I sat down to work on it myself, I just could not. It was so good that I couldn't write my own sermon. All I could do was repeat his sermon, and I just, so I punted to this week, which is okay because the story doesn't end until this week, all right? Um, One of those bookend stories where you start, the Shunammite woman is introduced, and then she disappears for a few chapters, and then she pops back up here at the end. Uh, but the, the other and more important thing is that I think this story touches on, if you let it, touches on some pretty deep stuff in your heart. Uh, the, the kind of stuff that you put away in a little room, and that's the metaphor I'm going to use this morning. Put away in a little room, close, turn the lights off, close the door, lock it, and throw the key away and say, we're not going there. God ever again. Just not talking about it, just not opening that door, not thinking about it, not addressing it. It's just going to stay in this little place over here. And every now and then in life, something happens that pokes it and, and kind of jiggles the knob of that door and you've, you have an emotional reaction. And then you get that door silent again and locked up and secure, and you move on. And I, I feel, as I've been preparing for this, I just feel like God's kind of jiggling the doorknob for all of us. And I'm, I'm telling you this now because I want you to, you have to decide before you jump into a story like this, I'm going to let God open whatever door he wants to open in my heart and let this thing really have its effect wherever it takes me, okay? So I just want you to kind of submit yourself to Christ, even in the places where you have said to him in your heart, don't go there, okay? Um, And do that purposely with your will before him right now so that this can do its work, all right? Um, That sounds ominous now. Uh, I feel like now I've, I've made this all very ominous, but you'll see what I mean as we go along, Okay? Okay, so we're talking about Elisha. We've been going through 1st and 2nd Kings together. Elisha has uh, come in uh, as Elijah's successor, and he's done basically all the same miracles as Elijah did, except for raising the dead. And that's coming in this story, okay? This is all important for people to see that Elisha comes after Elijah, and he's called to do the same things as Elijah was, okay? So there's this woman in the town of Shunem, hence her title Shunemite, right? She's a Shunemite woman. And she has, she's extended her hospitality to Elisha as he's traveled past her home over and over and over again. There's some main road here that, that he was passing by on a regular basis, and he would stop in to eat there. She would invite him in, and he'd eat a meal with her and her family, and then he'd move on, okay? And what she's done is she said, you know what? We should add an extension to our house. We should put a, add a guest room. So she builds a, 
a guest room on top of her house of the second story. So when Elisha comes into town, he not only can eat there, but he can spend the night. So this is pretty great. Elisha stops in. He gets a nice meal, receives her hospitality. He gets to spend the night, get rested, and then continue on his travels. And he's super grateful for this, as we all would be. And so he decides that he wants to return the blessing to this woman for tremendous hospitality. And here's what he comes up with. This is 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 11 to 16. He says, One day he came there, he being Elisha, and he turned into the chamber and rested there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, Call this Shunammite. When he had called her, she stood before him, and he said to him, Say now to her, see you have taken all this trouble for us, what is to be done for you? Would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? She answered, I dwell among my own people. And he said, what then is to be done for her? Gehazi answered, well, she has no son and her husband is old. He said, call her. When he had called her, she stood in the doorway and he said, at this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son and look at her response. And she said, no, my Lord, O man of God, do not lie to your servant. So this woman, just to to help you a little bit historically, she's in a really, really dire situation. There's no social programs. The the only social program she had for her, her later years in life is her husband or having a son. But for her, her husband is going to die soon. He's not well, and she has no son. So when her husband dies, she is going to be moved immediately overnight to the lowest category, social category of poverty there is. Okay? She will have no one to care for her. She will have no way to make money. She will be destitute and homeless. That's her situation. So it's not just that she really, really wants a son and she doesn't have one. It's not just an emotional desire that's been unfulfilled. This is her life. And her husband dying is, means the end of the life that she has and the beginning of a very, very difficult one. But notice that when Elisha sends his servant to ask her, hey, go, go talk to her. What, do, what does she need? What, what can I do for her to bless her? She comes up with nothing. I know some of y'all, when somebody says, what can I do for you? And your immediate response is not to think about it and actually answer that question. Your immediate response is, no, I'm fine. I don't need anything. You've got Elisha the prophet sleeping in your house, visiting on the regular And you can't think of one thing he can do. It's like having the power of God itself living in your house. This guy performs miracles. When he tells the rain to stop, it stops. And you can't think of one thing to ask him for. And so Gehazi has to do some research and ask around, right? Talk to her, get to know her better. And finally he realizes what she really needs is the real situation she has is very scary and very serious, which her husband is not well, and she has no son. God has not given her a son. So he comes back to Elisha and tells him, and Elisha does what he can do. 
He prophesies to her and says, you're going to have a son. And her response is, don't lie to me, prophet. Don't mess with me. I've been asking God for years and years and years and years, practically my whole life, to give me a son. And he has not done it. And I have finally gotten myself to the point where I can live my life. And I've locked this thing away in this room and closed the door, and I'm okay. But don't you go messing with that. Don't lie to me. Don't get my hopes up again. Me and God are fine. We're fine. I'm not mad at him. I'm not bitter. She's not. She's a lovely, godly woman. You can't paint her in some light like she's bitter. She's not. She's just figured out a way to live her life and be happy and get through her day without falling apart. So she's pushed this thing over here, and here comes this prophet living in her house. And he starts saying, hey, you know what? You know what God told me? Hey, Scott, you know what God told me? <laughs> I think God, God's going to give you a son. You will, I, will, I see you embracing a son about this time next year. Can you relate to her response? That there are some things you are okay talking about. There are some things you are okay with God talking to you about. But there are some things on a short little list that you're like, no, nah, don't, don't lie to me, prophet. Don't go messing around with things you don't understand. This is where she is, and I don't think it's a lack of faith. We'll see that in a minute. I don't think it's bitterness. I think it's survival. It's living your life. You got to get up, you got to do stuff. <laughs> you got to raise a family, you got to live your life. So what do you do in a situation like this? At some point, you stop asking God, right? You stop. You say, well, I guess the answer is no. You adjust your expectations, meaning you lower them. <laughs> you do what you have to do to be okay about God putting you on the street in her case. I got to get to the point where I'm okay with being homeless because that's probably where this is going. She's not cursing God. She's not bitter. She's not angry. No, she's settled the issue with her future. She's closed the door on that room in the house of her heart and locked it. This woman has put her hope for a son to death. Her hope in that has died. She's put it to death. So I think when Elisha asks her what she needs, it's not that she's thinking, I need a son and not telling him. It doesn't even occur to her to ask. Like, I think we all can know what, how that is. You just don't even think to ask anymore. It's so put to death. Look at what happens next. Verse 17 But the woman conceived 
And she bore a son about that time the following spring, as Elisha had said to her. This is a great example of why reading things in context matters, because if you stop the story right here, boy, we have a Hallmark, a Christian Hallmark Channel movie ready to rock and roll. I mean, and then we can just, boy, I could preach about, you know, God will make all your dreams come true. That's a fun sermon to treat. It's more fun than this one. That's a fun sermon. It's a fun, fun one to listen to and a fun one to give. Just trust God. All your dreams will come true. Just believe hard enough. Close your eyes, click your heels together, and everything will be fine. That's the way the story is right here in this moment, and it's how this woman feels. Imagine it for a minute. You have put to death this hope. God, will, God has said no. He has not answered this prayer in an affirmative in any way. I have not had a son, and I am okay with my future. I am reconciled to it. It's okay. I'm fine. I'll be fine. I know God will take care of me. And then God comes along and touches the thing you don't want touched, and then he comes through. And a son comes to you, and you hold him in your arms. Can you imagine that moment for her? Not only do I have this wonderful son in my arms, but my future is now at least somewhat secure. But the story isn't in there. Verse 18 through 20. When the child had grown, he went out one day to his father among the reapers out in the field. And he said to his father, Oh, my head, my head. The father said to his servant, Carry him to his mother. And when he had lifted him and brought him to his mother, the child sat on her lap till noon, and then he died. What in the world? I mean, what in the, why would God give her, miraculously give her a son and then have him die? Like, can you, he's running through the field. I mean, just picture that moment. This child that's got so much promise and so much sovereign purpose running to his dad with some kind of thing going on in his head. And then he sits in his mom's lap who prayed and prayed and prayed and then let it die and got it resurrected again. And he sits there for hours until finally at noon he dies in her lap. Now this is, re- this, this is real life, right? This is not God makes all your dreams come true. This is real life. Everybody in this room has had something like this. Maybe it wasn't a child who died. Maybe that's more tragic than what has happened to you. Or maybe it's less tragic than what's happened to you. But you've had something like this where you said to God, why in the world did you bring this into my life only to let it die? What are you doing? Are you toying with me? Are you being mean to me? Are you not in control? Where are you? What are you doing? Look at her response. This is why I say this is not a faith issue for her. She's not bitter because she, 
She takes her dead son's body, goes up to the room she had made for Elisha, the room that started this whole mess, and she lays her son's lifeless body in Elisha's bed. Now, I don't know what she's feeling at this moment. But I think there's at least a part of her that's going, you started this, prophet. I told you not to lie to me. Your problem. Not my problem. So then she goes to find Elisha at Mount Carmel, which I love because that's where Elijah did his thing with Baal or the prophets of Baal. She tricks her way, lies her way around Elisha's servant Gehazi, which I think is great. Um, then she gets up to Elisha, and this is what she does. Chapter 4, verse 27 to 28. And when she came to the mountain to the man of God, she caught hold of his feet. And Gehazi came to push her away, but the man of God said, Leave her alone, for she is in bitter distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. God let Elisha walk right into the middle of this problem. Verse 28, then she said, did I ask my Lord for a son? Did I not say, do not deceive me? Did I ask for this? I didn't ask for this. I wasn't in my prayer closet asking God for a son. I quit doing that a long time ago. I put it to death. It's you that came to me and stirred this thing up in my heart, brought it to life, and then you killed it. Not my problem, your problem. You started this. Can you relate to that? I can. I've yelled at God almost these exact words before. <laughs> Why did you bring me out here in the desert to die, as the Israelites said? You deliver us from Egypt. You do all these miracles, and now we're starving to death in the desert. Why did you bring us out here to die? So my question is, do you feel this way right now about something? Did God renew your hope for something and now it seems like it's just died all over again? Look at verse 29. It says, He said to Gehazi, Tie up your garment and take my staff in your hand and go. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not reply. And lay my staff on the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So he rose and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was no sound or sign of life. Therefore he returned to meet him and told him, The child has not awakened. It didn't work, Elisha. I did what you said. Oh boy. Doesn't look good. I did what you said, and the child just laid there. He's dead. He's still dead. When Elisha came into the house, he saw the child lying dead on his bed. So he went in and shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. And he went up and lay on the child just like Elijah, putting his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. And as he stretched himself upon him, the flesh of the child became warm. Then he got up again. And walked once back and forth in the house. You know what he's doing. He's going, oh boy. 
God, where you at? You told me, this is what I'd be saying if I was Elisha, you told me to prophesy to her, and I prophesied to her, and it worked. Baby came out. It worked. What a great thing. Problem solved. Now I got a dead child in my bed. I put the staff on him. That usually does the trick. Didn't do anything. Now I've gone in and I've laid on him. And all that happened is he got a little warm. Half-baked miracles. What are you going to do? You're going to go downstairs and say, well, I got him warm for you. That's all I could do. You and I both know that ain't enough. He needs a miracle. So he paces back and forth and he prays. He says, come on, come on, God. Like, what? Don't leave me hanging out here. I don't understand what you're doing. You didn't even tell me this was going to happen. You usually tell me what's going to happen. And now I don't know what's happening. And I'm just pacing and praying and pacing and praying. And then he goes... And he stretched himself upon him again. And there's verse 35. The child sneezed seven times. And the child opened his eyes. Then he summoned Gehazi and said, Call this Shunammite. So he called her. And when she came to him, he said, Pick up your son. She came and fell at his feet, bowing to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. I want you to notice her response. It says two things. The first thing she does is she lays that child in Elisha's bed. And the second thing she does is she goes to Elisha and she clings to his feet and she says, I will not leave you. And maybe she's angry. Maybe she's not even particularly trusting in that moment. Maybe she's not calm. It would be weird to be calm. She's angry. She's really been a little angry and testy about the whole thing from the start. She's frustrated. But what she does is the only act of faith required of her, which as I know where this, who can solve this problem, I know whose responsibility this problem is, and it is not mine, it's that guy's. And I'm leaving the problem in his bed where he sleeps. And I'm going to go to him and I'm going to grab onto him and say, I don't care where you go or what you do, I'm staying with you. We're bound together now. So what do we do with this? What does this mean? I think we all know that this does not mean that God will never let you be disappointed. That's one of the points of the story. It's not true that if you have enough faith, you will be healthy and wealthy in this life. I immediately thought about all the other children that didn't have Elisha living in their house. That die every day. I think the answer to that question is found in yet another very similar story. Maybe you thought of it while you were reading this one, Jesus had a dear friend named Lazarus. Remember Lazarus? He lived in the town of Bethany and he became very ill. And Jesus was told by his other friends, Mary and Martha, about this illness multiple times. And he would say, 
for the glory of God, I'm not going. And he wouldn't go see his friend to heal his friend. They knew he could heal him with just the word, but he wouldn't do it. It seems very cold-hearted, doesn't it? Like, God, why would, you let, why would you not just run to your friend? You know he's dying. Why just, you don't even have to go. You could just say it. Just do it, and he'd be healed. So Jesus lets his friend die, knowingly lets his friend die. And then John eleven seventeen 17 to 27, it says, Now when Jesus came, so he finally goes after Lazarus is dead, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, but about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. They're having a funeral. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Probably didn't want to talk to Jesus at the moment. <laughs> Verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I think that's the same heart as the Shunammite woman. I know what you can do. Don't mess with me, prophet. It's the same heart as if you had just been here. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. See, there's faith. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And of course, the next thing is Martha comes up. Same basic question. He gives the same basic response. And then what's he do? He weeps. He weeps. He weeps with those that are weeping. He sobs. In the shortest Bible verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. And it's not just a, a like a man cry, like a little, you know, weakness escaping your, your eyes just for a minute. It's a sobbing, embarrassing cry. Like where your, your stomach convulses and you double over and you got stuff coming out of your nose, and you got stuff coming out of your eyes, and you're sort of not in control. That kind of weeping. The embarrassing kind of cry. And when he's done weeping with those who weep, he calls Lazarus out of the grave and raises him from the dead. Jesus supplies us with the answer to this question of why does he sometimes <clears throat> raise the dead thing and sometimes not? And why does he make us wait? Why does he make us wait in the disappointment, in the in-between? In between that promise, you're going to have a son, you'll embrace him this time next year, and then watch it die, only you have to wait for watch him raise the dead alive again. What in the world? The answer to that question is, Jesus doesn't just perform resurrection. He is the resurrection. He doesn't just give life. He is life. And what he wants, he can raise the dead. He can do anything he wants. He's proven it. 
over and over again. Because he didn't just raise Lazarus from the dead, he raised himself from the dead. But what's Lazarus going to do at the end of Lazarus' natural life? He's going to die. And he's going to go in a grave. And then what? He needs something else. He needs the life. He needs the person that is called life. That's Jesus. What does the Shunammite woman really need more than anything else? She needs the life of God in her and flowing through her. Physically and spiritually speaking, in Christ, you have life forever. Forever. Death is so momentary when you're with Jesus that Jesus refers to death as sleeping in that story. He says, look, guys, it doesn't matter if I go now or stay. He's just asleep. And they're confused. What do you mean asleep? They, he's dead. Like, it's not, he's, maybe, maybe the reason you're not going is because you're, you're confused about what's happened to Lazarus. He's not asleep. He's dead. And Jesus' response is, no, trust me, he's just asleep. Because when you're with me, when you're with the resurrection, when you're with the source of life, the life itself, it doesn't matter. It's just sleep. That's all it is. It's nothing to me. It's as easy as shaking somebody awake to God. It is not effort. He doesn't have to try to raise the dead. It's not a problem for him. So what are the things you've locked in the room that you've been telling God, don't go there? Maybe you tried church and it let you down. Maybe you got hurt or abused in some way by the church and you said, you know what, I'm putting that, I'm locking that away. I'm not going around those Christians anymore. Or maybe you've been looking for a kind of friendship that just hasn't panned out for you. God, I just want to stop being lonely all the time. And I don't care how you supply it. And it's, if it's a spouse or a friend or whatever, I just want some companionship in my life. And it keeps not panning out. Maybe you've been ill for a long time and don't see how your life is going to be meaningful now. Maybe you suffered some trauma and you can't seem to be able to completely pull out of its orbit. Maybe a job loss or several job losses. A divorce, a wayward son or daughter, any number of other disappointments. We've all got them somewhere. The thing I believe God is asking you to do is to come to him and cling to his feet. That's the, so you're not locking it away and saying, don't go there, don't lie to me, Jesus. But you're also not saying, I'll carry this, I got it, it's fine. <laughs> I can make this happen. Because if you walk around saying, I can make this happen, God will be faithful to put you in a situation that you cannot handle. 
He will give you a dream or a desire or a need that you can't fill or make happen. And then what do you do? Well, I'll tell you what you do. You drop the thing in his bed. That's not denial. It's also not, this is my problem. And if you got to be a little grumpy and a little emotional about it, you go right ahead. He's fine. That's not a lack of faith. The faith is in saying, I'm putting this in your bed, Jesus. I know where this belongs. And then you run to him and you cling to his feet and say, I will not leave you. And whether he raises it from the dead or leaves it in the grave, it's up to him. You know, if you're in Christ, he'll raise all these things from the dead at some point. Mary was right. Martha was right. He is your resurrection and the life. He alone is your source. He will either remove the problem or he will carry you through it. But everybody has to wait. Everybody has to sit and wait in that agonizing place of being forced to trust God. Even with the possibility that he won't say yes to the thing you're asking him for, at least right away. I mean, even this woman, she got this promise. Think about this. He says, this time next year. So that's nine months plus some. She had to wait months just to get pregnant to find out if this months of agonizing wondering with the door that she had closed standing wide open and exposed, wondering, did this guy lie to me or did he not? And then she gets pregnant. And being pregnant in that day and time was not a given that you're having the baby. So she's got to walk around for nine months wondering at any minute, is this going to be over? And then she has the birth, and that's not guaranteed either. And she gives birth to a healthy baby boy, and she thinks, problem solved. Everybody has to sit in that place between the promise and the fulfillment from God. And you don't know how long it's going to take. It could take a day, it could take a year, it could take the rest of your life for God to fulfill the thing he promised. And he's willing to wait because he is your resurrection and your life. And what he wants is for you to come and cling to him and lay the thing in his bed and not carry it yourself. This is real life. It's real life. So I think what we need is the comfort of the Holy Spirit because in some ways I think this is just what it means to be a human being. That life is difficult and we all face these challenges every day of how, you know, this is, demor- this is harder than I thought it should be, whatever it is, whether it's changing your brakes or trying to raise children or marriage or friendship, or any of those things. It's all harder than you expected it to be, and it's harder than you think it should be, and it's always a struggle. And what we do with that is important. Our response is important. 
is we run to him and you cling to him and you say, help me, I'm not leaving you. I'm not going anywhere. And when he comes and he knocks on the door and starts jiggling the doorknob or something, you don't want him to touch. You've got to let him. You just have to let him. Because he won't let you keep anything behind closed doors. He wants it all out. So he can say, hey, trust me with that. Just trust me with it. And you say, well, I don't know what you're going to do with it. If you could tell me what you're going to do with it, then I'll trust you. <laughs> he says, nope, that's not the deal. So I want to pray for you. I want to pray for a couple of things. One, I, I feel like um, some of you need, maybe all, maybe all of us, um, need the Spirit to minister comfort to the losses. To say, just to have Jesus say, I'm here and I'm with you, and to hear him weep with you. He knows what he's going to do. He's like, I'm, I'm the resurrection. Like, I, There's not anything I can't resurrect. He knows what he's going to do and he knows when he's going to do it. But he also weeps with you. And so where there's a loss, if you feel like, man, I like this Shunammite woman and I'm saying the same thing, like, don't mess with me, Jesus. I've lost a lot. I've been hurt a lot. I've been disappointed. I've had a lot of people come to me and mess with me and lie to me. Like what you need is to be with Jesus and the comfort of the Holy Spirit to say, I'm with you and I'm here. But the other thing I want to pray for is that you trust him. Not just be comforted by because there's no comfort, if you've lived long enough, there's no comfort in somebody saying, everything's going to work out just fine. Don't mess with me and say that to me. Don't come up to me and tell me everything's going to be fine, because I'm telling you, I've learned one thing, and maybe only one thing, which is everything is not always fine. <laughs> that is not what I've been promised by God. But, Jesus wants you just to trust him with the whole thing. My life, when my needs are filled, when my dreams are fulfilled, when the dead things get raised to life, it's all in your hands. I'm leaving it with you, but I'm not going to stop asking. I'm not going to let go of it. I'm going to keep asking you. If it's your marriage, say, God, I'm going to keep, I'm going to cling to your feet. I'm not going anywhere. I'm asking you. Help me. Help me sort this thing out. It seems like a, an impossible mess. Help me. If it's your health, you're like, I am slowly dying and my life seems to have no purpose. I'm in pain all the time. You say, God, I'm going to keep asking. I'm going to lay this thing at your feet. If it's your kids, one of the things we prayed for in response to this at the conference was wayward children. This has that effect on a parent. When you got kids, you've been praying for them, that God will speak to them and draw them in, and then they just keep not responding. And you keep seeing God give them opportunities. You say, clearly, that's an open door if you just walk through it. And then they don't because their heart's hard. You've got to lay that in the bed with Jesus. 
There's all kinds of things like that. I want to pray not just that you would be comforted. I do want to pray for that. But I also want to pray that God would put enough faith in your heart to take the things that are hard to trust him with and actually open up that door to your heart to him and say, I'm trusting you with this. Will you do a miracle? And I know that's a lot for me to ask. (laughs) I know it is. I feel a little bit like Elisha walking into that room and bumping around like I don't even know what I'm saying or what I'm doing. I'm just giving a word, right? You hear this from God and do it with it what you want. So if you'd like prayer for either one of those things, the the comfort thing, or if you just want to kind of symbolically bring stuff up, the the dead things in your life, and lay them at his feet up here, we're going to pray for you and just ask the Holy Spirit to minister to you and give you some faith and hope for what he's called you to do and what he's put in your heart. Amen. So why don't you come up? We'll pray for you. That's good. Mm-hmm. So that's a great point. The Shunammite woman, the other thing she did was she built a room for God in her heart. And maybe that's what we're doing here. As we're saying, I'm welcoming you, Jesus, to into my life, into my heart, and asking him, saying, just take up residence. Speak to me. If you want to pull something up that I don't want you to talk about, I'm okay with it. So we're building a room for Jesus in our hearts. So let's pray. God, before I push anyone to open up access in their heart to things that are hard. God, I want to give you a minute by your spirit to minister comfort to the losses, the disappointments. God, all of us are, we keep stats in our heart how many times we've asked you for something, how many times you said no. Holy Spirit, would you come and just weep over those things? How that everyone here would feel your compassion for them. Because you are the God who waits And you are the God who weeps. You're both. God, make us people who are able to be honest with you about the disappointments and frustrations we have. God, that we would see this Shunammite woman as a model to be emulated not as someone to be pitied this is what you want from us you want us to come to you 
like this. So God, would you transform everyone's picture of how you respond to our pain from being over us and talking down to us but being next to us and entering into even sadness with us. Lord, I pray from that place of your comfort and compassion, God, that we would, everyone here that's come up would have the grace right now, the faith to just build that room in their heart. Say, Lord, would you come in and I want to make room for your word to me. I want to make room for you to speak to me even about things that I don't want you to speak to me about. To stir up faith in me for things that I've allowed to just die to stir up hope in me for things that I've lost hope for. God, that we would all be able to trust you simply by saying, this is yours to handle. We are not required by you to solve our own problems, to raise our own debt. Not even Elisha could send his staff and phone it in. He needed you. He had to pray twice. Because <laughs> it wasn't him, it's you. God, would you remove from everyone here this false burden of you must solve this. Even if it's your fault, you don't have to solve it. God, make us people who quickly and immediately run to you and cling to you and don't let go of you. God, I pray especially for the sons and daughters that have, like the prodigal son, hardened their heart against you and have foolishly tried to run far from you. God, would you draw them home? Awaken their hearts to you and to your voice, to your word, calling them and speaking to them, convicting them of their sin, and convincing them that you are who you say you are. God, help them to hear what you're saying to them. God, I pray for those that have been hurt, deeply wounded by other Christians. God, those who are here in this room and those who are would, would refuse to ever be in a room like this again. God, the people we all know, we're all connected to in some way, we know people, we have family members. 
God, they're in exactly that place. Lord, would you draw them into your family? Raise the dead. Do the impossible thing. Why don't you all just take a minute if you haven't yet and just if there's something in your in your mind that you would rather not ask God for. Maybe the Holy Spirit right now is just bringing that up and it just feels like it's just on your mind again and it hasn't been in a long time. Just give that to Him and ask Him again for the thing you don't want to ask for. song but I'd like to if if you want to go sit down that's fine I'm not going to make you stand here but um, if you'd like some prayer we're going to stay up here and have some maybe have some more people come and pray um, lay hands on you and ask God to minister to you um, that your heart would open if you're having trouble with that just hang out for a minute and we'll keep praying and everybody else can sing all right so let's let's do that